Welcome to Ports of Praise Online. This is a message from Pastor Clay Williams titled The Immutability of God from his series on doctrine. Tonight, uh, we are going to talk about. Uh, again, the doctrine of God, and we're going to talk about the characteristics of God. If uh, and what you're going to see up here on the um, on the overhead last week, we talked about the two types of the character, the characteristics of God. We said they were divided into two categories. Okay, we said there are incommunicable. Okay, now if I was to stand up and say, Ashley, what what is a communicable disease? You know, she she'd probably tell me that it's something. That you can get so close to something that you can catch it. Don North actually came up to me at the end of last week's session and said, uh, Brother, communicable, you can think of it this way. You get so close to something that you can catch it. So when we talk about the attributes of God, we say that there are communicable and incommunicable. Okay? Big words. One means that we don't share. It's incommunicable. Communicable, we share. Okay? So we talked about that a little bit last week. Tonight, by God's grace, we are going to try to look at the incommunicable attributes of God, which means we're going to look at the characteristics of God that we, particularly as people, do not share in common with God. Okay? So, here, in, other, in order to make it a little bit more lively, uh, a little bit more of an um, easier conversation uh, tonight, I wanted to put it to you in the form of five questions. And uh, here are the... That didn't work, right? I, maybe I did the wrong thing. Sorry. I did. That was my fault. Go back to... Uh, there you go. Bam. That's what I'm supposed to push. Thank you. Um, so, here, here's the way I have termed tonight's discussion. So, we're going to talk about the five uncatchable attributes. And I want to put it to you in five questions. Here they are. You ready? Does God need us or... Creation. Does God need us or creation? The second question. Does God change? Very important question. Third question. Um, eh, maybe this is a hip, cool, modern way to say it. How old is God anyway? This was where we'll be talking about the eternity or the eternality of God. Number four. Where does God live or dwell? Can He really be in all places at all times? And then finally, my favorite question of the night, is God schizophrenic? And what, do, what I mean by that is, sometimes we read in the Bible that God is a love, love, loving God. He, he loves and He cares for His people. And then sometimes I read about a very just God who desires that justice... Be mediated. He desires that, that justice be meted out and that, that, that unrighteous pay. So how do we, do we see those two sides of God as contradictory? How do we look at those? So these are the uh, things that we're going to talk about tonight. Sorry. Okay. So. These are the five questions. All right, good. You through? Here we go. 
Thank you. So, again tonight, if you will, with me, please read the Apostles' Creed. Uh, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. The third day He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, now, just to say, in case we have some new people with us tonight, when we reference the uh, Holy Catholic Church, we are not referring to the Roman Catholic Church, small c. Catholic meaning universal, just so there's no confusion, okay? I didn't want you to think that we were going to start doing Hail Marys on Sunday. We are not. Um, Now, we said last week that our Western minds need ways to categorize things. And, and so, it's probably easier if you were from the Middle East to understand the attributes of God. However, simply because you, can, you tend to think of things differently. And we talked about all of the different names of God and how that played into this. But, so, we talked tonight and we said just a second ago, we're going to put them in the forms of questions. And, uh, and so, we're going to try to address those. Um, and, of course, we read this passage last week. Psalms 102, 25 through 27, it says, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish. What will perish? The, the heavens. But you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away, but you are the same, and your years have no end. This says something about God to us. And so, can we pray tonight? Father, I thank you. Because tonight, I already just sense your spirit in here testifying as to your goodness. So Lord, tonight we give you honor, we give you praise, and we give you glory because you are a good God. You are a just God. You are a loving God. Mm, 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 mm. So, Father, we honor you tonight in Christ's name. Amen. Glory. So, here we're going to talk first and foremost about independence tonight. Okay, and I'm sorry, honey, if you want, you can scoot over. But independence, um, self-existence of God. Um, the Latin word for it is called uh, aseity, which means from himself. And what this basically means is, is because here's kind of the definition of the doctrine of independence is that God does not need us or the rest of creation for anything. Yet we... Now see, I want you to listen to this. The last part of the answers or the last part of the definitions that I'm going to give, um, the last part of the definitions are going to be really qualifying statements. Okay, So that you understand that it's not... The first part of it doesn't describe it in its entirety, okay? There are some exceptions to some of these these definitions. So God does not need us or the rest of creation for anything. Yet we and the rest of creation can glorify Him and bring Him joy. Um, A couple of passages that we can look at. 
uh, Acts chapter 17, verses 24 and 25 says this, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. I like this in Job chapter 41. It says, Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Psalm 50, verses 10 to 12. What you're going to see tonight is, one of my favorite words as you're getting to understand, um, sovereignty. God is over all things. You're going to see it over and over and over and over and over and over again. So if you don't like the sovereignty of God, sorry. <laughs> because I kind of didn't ask. Um, Psalm 50, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle. I love this. Do you know that this was one of the passages in, as I was writing in Israel, one of my moments, you have several in Israel, but one of my moments wasn't at the tomb, which I did have a moment there. It wasn't at Golgotha. It was riding through the countryside, looking at the hills, and Psalm chapter 50 came to my mind. Every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all the moves in the field are, is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. And I just had a revelation of that passage as I was driving through it. So, uh, when we talk about independence, um, we talk about God's ability to be God all by Himself. He does not need us to be God. He does not need us for self-esteem. God does not have self-esteem issues. Amen? So, He does not need us. He does not, cre he does not need creation to tell Him that He's a good God. Now, He enjoys for creation to tell Him that He is a good God. Now that's important. You see, God is set because here's what here's what happens when we talk about the independence of God. Here's what we here's what we're trying to communicate is that God is holy, sovereign, independent, all by Himself. There is no need. There is no lack. There is nothing in Him that is incomplete. However, God. Sovereignly designed, created us in His image to give Him glory, and He enjoys that. Now that's awesome. Because see, so many times we ask questions, does God really need us? If God is sovereign, then why would He need for us to pray? Because doesn't God really know what's supposed to happen anyway? Doesn't He know the future? And since He knows the future, then why does He need me to pray? It's not that He needs you to pray. It's that He desires for you to pray because He desires that His character would be formed in you. So you praying is not just about receiving, but it's about His character being formed in you. That was better than what you gave credit for. Uh, so... Here's a question that sometimes comes up. Didn't God create humans because He was lonely? Some people, listen, scholars have debated this question. 
It's John 17. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. See, here we see a little bit of the, the, the Trinity here that Jesus was with the Father. Jesus did not have a time that He did not exist. Yes, He came into the world as a man, but there was not a time when Jesus, as God, did not exist. And He says this in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom You have given Me, may be with Me where I am to see My glory that You have given Me because You loved Me before the foundation of the world. You see? So, because Jesus was with God, there are other passages that talk about the Holy Spirit existing before creation. So, here it is. God pre-exists in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Perfect unity within the Trinity. There is perfect complementarity within the, within the Trinity. So, God does not need anything outside of Himself. He is self-fulfilled. So God exists by virtue of His very nature. Revelation chapter 4 says, Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And listen to this, by your will they existed and were created. You know, now I know God spoke things into existence, but God willed them to be. It was the will of God to create. Sometimes when we pray, we can pray selfishly and not get what we pray for, even though we're speaking it. John and I pick on each other sometimes when we're working. Brother, don't speak that. Because sometimes we can pray not according to the will of God. John chapter 1, verse 3, All things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. So, did God create humans or animals um, because He was lonely? No. Um, God has existed before. Um, Let's look at this. God's independence is seen in His self-designation. What do I mean by that? God has declared Himself to be Himself and independent of all things, that He does not need anything outside of Himself. Now listen, we need to hear this. You and I need to hear that God is independent from us. Because here's what happens. We begin to look at the doctrine of man and we begin to say, you know what, God's made us in His image, therefore there's something about me God likes. Let me tell you something, before Jesus came and conquered your soul, conquered your heart, and brought you into Himself, there was nothing about you that appealed to God. There was nothing in your flesh that appealed to God. God in His mercy, God in His His love, in His unending love saw you. Romans says this, that that in while we were yet sinners, in our most despicable place, I love John 3 where Jesus talks to Nicodemus. He says, Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. The Bible talks about in different places about unless someone's eyes are open, they will not see. 
Listen, folks, there is nothing in us that deserves or merits God's favor. But God has chosen to love us. God has chosen to select us and pull us and be in covenant with us. You look at Abraham. God saw Abraham and it says that because Abraham, when he responded, he spoke to Abraham, Abraham responded and God said, okay, Abraham, your faith, by your faith, he said, I am counting unto you, I am imputing, I am giving to you righteousness. See, and Christians need to get this. If you are saved, if you are born again, if the Spirit of God has drawn you and you have repented because of the Spirit's confrontation of your sin and you have surrendered your knee, then let me tell you something. When you get up that day, you are a different person. You are a new creature. Sanctification is a process, but God imputes righteousness to you right then and there. The rest becomes a relationship walk. I don't know where we get off where we go, boom, oh, wait a second, wait a second, got to watch that, I'm not a Christian if I do that. God's bigger than that. God's bigger than that. Okay. Uh, this, Exodus 3, verse 4, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Another translation, I am that I am. I am before you were. Let me tell you, this is one of the greatest expressions of sovereignty listed anywhere. God created, God breathed, God owns, God rules, and God alone saves. God is mighty to do any and all things that we need. There's not any situation where God cannot reach down and grab you out of. I love the story of Joseph. Joseph went from a, from a boy in a farm, in a field, hated by his brothers, to a pit, to, uh, into a dungeon, to a, to a place far away from home. And he was in a place of captivity. One day he was in the innermost dungeon. The next day he was the assistant uh, pharaoh of all of Egypt. And it was not because of Joseph's goodness. It was not because of anything righteous found in Joseph of himself. It was the sovereign will of God to grab Joseph, pull him out of that pit, and put him in a place of leadership. And God did it so that years later, God's people would be restored. God's people would be kept. You see, let me tell you something. Some of you are in a pit right now because God put you in that pit, allowed you to be in that pit, so that one day you could provide for people that you don't even know yet exist. But yet we want to curse the pit. We want to deny the pit. We want to deny the place. And what we want to do is we want to complain about our wilderness, but we don't see that God's trying to form His character in us in the wilderness so that, in, that when we get out of the wilderness, we can come into a place to where we don't have to build houses anymore because they've already been built. We don't have to plant vineyards anymore. We just have to cultivate and continue to, to fertilize and continue to do what somebody else has done because God will use a, a wilderness experience to put you in a place of blessing. So, 
We see that God's existence and character are determined by Himself alone and are not dependent on anyone or anything else. His sovereignty is seen as His self-governing. And because He is self-governing, it, that implies His own independence. So therefore, we see that God is totally unique. What does this mean? This means that God is fundamentally different than us. You see, God exists in a fundamentally different order of being. It's not just that we exist and that God has always existed. What it is is that God necessarily exists in an infinitely better, stronger, and more excellent way. There is, And we see that God is qualitatively different. What this means is there is no limitation or imperfection in creation that should ever be put or projected onto our thought of who God is. Now understand, sometimes there, there is. There are times in our lives where we doubt the strength of God. We doubt the ability of God. That's when we need to go back to Scripture and understand that the situations of life that we're in, when life is hell, when life stinks, we need to understand that in those times, it's not that God is failing us. It is because of sin that has infiltrated the world. It is because we ask, why do little kids, this things happen to little kids? Why do these things happen? It is ultimately because of sin that has came into the earth and has corrupted the earth. And we are, and, and because of our sinful nature, our sinful desires, those patterns, that has caused and created almost a deteriorating effect. And if not for the grace of God, none of us would be spared. You see, so many times we want to say, God, why this little kid? Or, or God, why the towers? Or God, why this? In, instead of saying, God, I thank you that you spared some. But see, that's, that's, that's maturity, folks. That's being secure in who, who God is. That's not doubting God when the situation gets rough. That's understanding that God's big even when the situation looks bad. And so, now we look at the rest of the story. The rest of the story is this. Because of the goodness of God, because of the mercy of God, because of the independence of God, because God does not need us and He lacks in no good thing, then we can glorify Him. We can bring Him joy. Isn't that awesome? An independent, all-sufficient God desires that we would glorify Him. That we would bring Him joy. We can bring joy to His heart. God's independence does not make our existence meaningless like so many people would say. But rather what it means is that God has created us for His glory. God has created... Listen, think about this choice. God has created you. He, he has seen the challenges in your life. But in the midst of those challenges, what He said is, Joyce, if you'll trust me. Joyce, if you'll, if you'll just hold on. That, 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 that pit may be a hard night of your soul. But Joyce, I see you and I hurt for you and I love, I love you. 
but I'm sending my spirit to you and I'm sent my son to die for you. And guess what? He's going to reach down. He's going to grab you out of that pit and I'm going to show you a love like you've never known and I'm going to reveal myself to you. And guess what, Joyce? Throughout all of the junk you've been through, throughout all the stuff in your life, you can praise me. And the world will see that you're not messed up. That's how God gets glory. It's because in the midst of your hell, in the midst of the challenges of, of, your, of your childhood, when you wished you would have died, God said, no, I'm saving you for my glory. This, the independence of God, is really the basis for our personal significance. We don't get significance on our own. We're not, we're not good on our own. God being God is where we get our significance. He doesn't need us, but yet it's the amazing fact of our existence that He chooses to delight in us and to allow us to bring joy to His heart. It's not that we add to Him, for we cannot add anything to Him. It's just amazing that God created us, pursued us. Think about this. You didn't find Him. You went stumbling along on the street one day and you found Jesus. No, that didn't happen. He saw you. He reached out to you. <laughs> because... I love what Zephaniah says. That he delights in it. He rejoices over you with singing. Wait a second. It's not talking about us to God. It says God to us. I, I taught on this one time in our youth group. And, and the passage means that it basically says it's almost like God's your biggest cheerleader, man. He's your biggest, he's your biggest fan. He rejoices over you. But He's the one that made you able to do it. But He still rejoices over you. He goes, okay, Mitch. I'm going to save you. I'm going to buy you back. I'm going to give you the strength to overcome all your weaknesses, your sin. I'm going to pull you from that. And every time you overcome in an area, I'm going to be going, that's the way, Mitch! Good job! Way to go! Way to go! And the Holy Spirit's going to confirm that in your heart. And He's going to, the joy of the Lord, the Bible says, will be your strength. What? The joy of the Lord will be my strength? Yes, because God is rejoicing over you. Mm. And we thought that Doctrine would be boring. So the second question goes back to does God change His mind? Well, so here's how we define unchangeableness. God is unchanging in His, listen to these four things, His being, His perfections, His purposes, and His promises. Yet God does act and feel emotion 
And he acts and feels differently in response to different situations. Wait a second, you just talked out of both sides of your mouth. No, I didn't. I just opened my mouth and sound came out. Psalms 102 says this, God existed before the heavens and the universe will change, but God will not change. He is the same. This same passage is quoted in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Hebrews 1, 11 and 12. I need, thank you. says they will perish but you remain they will all grow old like a garment like a cloak you will fold them up and they will be changed but you are the same and your years will not fail there's another passage in hebrews that says you are the same yesterday today and forever amen so we see uh, in malachi 3 verse 6 He says, for I, the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Listen, because here's here's where we're going to get into why is it important to say that God doesn't change because of God's unchanging character. We know. That that we can be saved. Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are sons of God. Well, if God changes, then maybe one day he's in a bad mood. Maybe one day he decides not to be so merciful. Well, I know I said this, but this is a different dispensation. I'm mad now. What about James 1.17? All good gifts come from God. See, we can be confident that only good gifts come from Him. So they've came from Him in the past. They'll continue to come from Him in the future. So, I want you to just see that being and perfections refer to the various aspects of His character, His very nature, who He is. Okay? And so, I want you to listen to this. This, uh, uh, this next slide, Herman uh, Bavink did a book on the doctrine of God, and here's what he said. He said, the doctrine of God's immutability, which is another word for unchangeableness, is of the highest significance for religion. The contrast between being and becoming marks the difference between the Creator and the creature. Every creature is continually becoming. What did Philippians 1.6 say? I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you would be faithful to finish it, complete it. See, if God is changing in His being, in His very nature, He's not consistent. He decides one day, you know, they've taken a little too long. I'm tired. Sounds foolish. But if God changes... So, so we're going to move with this. But every creature is continually becoming. It is changeable, constantly striving, seeks rest, 
and satisfaction and finds this rest in God in Him alone. For only He is pure being and no becoming. Hence in Scripture, God is often called the rock. Unchanging, unmovable. So, we see that next is being, okay, perfections and purposes. Purposes is God's will to act or bring something about. God's will to act or to bring something about. Um, just a few verses. Let's look at Psalms 33. Psalms 33. Verse 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. Um, I love this one in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. You can look there with me if you like. Ephesians 1 verse 4. Even as He, I like this, chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, uh, our person in here that asked about predestination is not here tonight. But while we're not going to address that question fully. No, that wasn't you. You was the other one. You was once saved, always saved. Um, predestination. Um, uh, the act, fact or fiction. Um, um, let me just say this. I believe fact. Okay, We'll discuss it in depth in its entirety uh, when we talk about salvation. And how that uh, that's applicable. Um, but he says he's chose us in him. Before the foundation of the world. I mean, there's he has predestined us. Um, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Here we go. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ. According to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace. It's going down to verse 11 or I'll want to start teaching Ephesians. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things. Listen to this. God is at work in all things according to the counsel of His will. I think the issue before, just before we, I don't want to take a rabbit and shoot it, okay? The challenge with predestination for people comes into their thinking about, well, if God predestines them, does God predestine some to hell? And does God predestine, you know, for, for women, for women to lose their children? Does God, I mean, you start getting into all these things. And, and I just want to caution you in your questions. Sometimes we question, we question things in ways that really are unbiblical ways to question. It's okay to have issues. David had issues. Right? But yet be careful that you know enough about God that you don't challenge His authority in your questions. Just so, so just, I'm going to put that in His nut. And, and when we get there, we'll address it. Because I don't, I don't believe that God desires for anyone to perish. I mean, that's, that's in Timothy. However... Again, you've got to go back to the you got to go back to that other analogy, the fact that he would save some. So we'll get into that a little bit more when we talk about salvation. But we got to get in our heads that God, that God is is sovereign. So that means that whatever God does is is good by God. 
If he desires, you know, if, if, if he would have desired for me to go straight to hell in a handbasket, <clears throat> that's what I deserved. But see, we have trouble with that a lot of times. We really struggle with that. So, let's not chase that rabbit. Don't, don't get down those roads. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. <laughs> you know, believe also in Jesus. Pastor says me, but I didn't want you. But anyway. Alright. So, um, chapter 3 of Ephesians, uh, verses 9 through 11. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Alright, you got me off on a rabbit trail with this predestination thing. Um, I can't get it off my mind here for a second. Because let, let me address one other issue. The purpose of predestination is not who goes to heaven, who goes to hell. The purpose of predestination is the glory of God. Okay? So, live with that one. And we'll get to there later. Okay? Good? We good? Alright. Thank you. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, what God purposes and desires will come to pass. Ultimately, you can say, well, no, things changed in my life and that's why I made the decision. Hello? God can do what He wants to do. God's promises. So let's look at the next one. Promises. What this means is God is faithful in all He has promised He will accomplish. Uh, Numbers 23. I'm just going to skip over those verses. You can read them. You can look at them. You can ask questions. Um, So, Numbers 23, 19, 1 Samuel 15, 29. Okay? God is faithful in all He has promised He will accomplish. i tell you what I will do is I will finish out the list. Excuse me. I will have Pat finish out the list for the Scripture verse for next week so that you will have these again on that, that one piece of paper that we gave you as a handout for Scripture verses. We'll finish filling that out from last week so that you'll have that. Okay? It's back there on the table, and we'll get you. Well, when you get the updated one, you'll be good to go anyway. All right. So here's where we come down to. Okay. Oh, and I'm on number two of five. Uh, does God change His mind? All right. Well, because here's some examples. We have Moses' intercession for Israel in Exodus 32. God said, "Moses, guess what? I'm fixing to start over with you. Stand back." And God starts to do His thunder thing from heaven or something. Lightning, right? And, and Moses drops to his knees and says, Oh God, please have mercy. God changes his mind. Hezekiah. Uh, issue there. Hezekiah, God was going to deal with him, take him out. There was pleading. God gave him 15 extra years. Nineveh. I read through, excuse me, I read through that passage again. God never told Jonah to prophesy or to speak to them to repent. He just said, call out to them what I tell you. And later on, so we don't fully know what maybe God said, we just know that all Jonah said was, in 40 days, you're going to be judged. Well, evidently there was something in them, or in that statement or judgment that, my Lord, maybe, just maybe, if we'll pray hard enough, if we can, if we'll truly be repentant, maybe God would change His mind. And so God did. God granted them the repentance. 
And what I love about this passage, the most important part of this passage, isn't the whale for me. I, I, that's a great passage of the big fish. That's, that's good. But when we talk about repentance and judgment, is the end of, of Jonah. When God takes, Jonah goes outside the city and Jonah's pouting. God lets this tree grow up overnight, gives him shade, God causes the tree to die. Jonah starts moaning. God, why didn't you take the tree? I just thought it would die. God says, what's it to you? What's it to you, Jonah? I made the plant. I killed the plant. What's it to you, Jonah? Well, but that plant made me feel good. You see, the Ninevites didn't make the Israelites feel good. What about that when Jesus said, pray for those who spitefully use you? You've all wanted some people to go straight to hell in a handbasket. Don't lie. But you have to get over it because you're not the judge. God is. I could give you a list. What about in Genesis 6 where God said that He was sorry that He made man? What about in 1 Samuel where uh, God said that He was sorry that He made Saul king? See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is where you see the second part of that definition come in and be so handy. Is because, listen, in respect to God's being, His perfections, His purposes, and His promises, He remains the same. Yet God allows for repentance. The Bible says that the kindness of God leads men to repentance. God will allow for people to repent. And so we've seen enough examples to see that it's in His character to allow for people to repent. And if people are truly repentant, then God will save a city. God was going to, He was going to destroy Sodom. That was His desire. That's what He wanted. Abraham said, okay, if I find 50 people, He said, okay, can't find them. What if I find 20? What if, it gets down to 10. What if, God said, look, if you find one, huh. He said, I'll spare it. What one? Save Lot. So, what is the significance of God's unchangeableness? Uh, our significance comes from God counting us significant, not our being able to change Him. So many times we think that our significance comes from us being able to change God's mind on something. Well, if I pray hard enough, or if I fast Long enough. Okay, here's where this becomes really significant. Because uh, how many times have we repented of sin just to get the Lord to maybe heal us, change our finances, help our marriage, fix our this, do that? Were we really repentant? Probably not. Because we did it for an intent. We wanted to, God, hold on, here's what we do, folks. Here's what we do. We get out our little proverbial whip and we start beating ourselves on the back like the guy who was the publican. Oh, gee, you know, I'm such a righteous. And you got the, you got the publican. And you got these, we want to beat ourselves up so we can get God's attention. Say, look at me, Lord. I've repented of all of these things. I'm such a good guy. God says, you wicked, sinful, lazy, 
no good for nothing so and so. Come on. He did kind of say that, right? Because he did say in Matthew, he said, depart from me, you who work lawlessness. Because I think the problem there is they did all those things for their own glory. Not for his. Okay. So, um, something else about God's unchangeable. He's infinite and personal. In other words, he, he goes beyond all our thoughts, our boundaries. Our, but he's also personal. He desires to be in relationship with us. So, and, and here's the question that comes, guys. If God could change, what does that mean? What does that mean? That means that we can't trust Him. That means, right, it's a secure... You know, if, if, if God can change from one day to the next, then who's to say that the rules don't change? If God can change, it also means that He's lacking in some area. And maybe he might change for the better, which means he probably wasn't all that good to begin with. Or maybe he could change to the worse. So that's why we have to understand that God does not change in his being. The only way that God changes is in his relationship with his people to love them, to encourage them, to develop them. Okay? That's the only way he, he really changes. It's a... It, 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 it's. It's not that He changes as much as that He allows for us to change. Um, we're going to try this. God is eternal. God is eternal. What does this mean? God has no beginning, end, or succession of moments in His own being. He sees all time equally vividly. Yet God sees events in time and acts in time. Um, let me do this. Um, if I can get there. Okay. Um, here's, here's what we see from the fact that God is timeless or eternal. We see that God is infinite, which means that He is unlimited. Uh, he is timeless in His being. Psalms 90, verse 2. Job 36. Revelation 1. Let me just quote you Revelation 1. Verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning from the end. In other words, He existed before all things. Okay, uh, He sees all time vividly. Here's a couple other passages. Psalms 90 verse 4, 2 Peter 3 verse 8. Uh, and then finally, God sees events in time. And here's the one I love. He sees events in time, Okay, even though He's outside of time, because the Bible will talk about passages, and, and if you look up these references, you'll see what I'm fixing to quote. He says a day, he says a thousand years, a thousand years as a day. God also says, I've seen, listen, I remember things from a thousand years ago just like it was yesterday. That's one of the passages that's up there. Okay? Um, but, but he sees these events in time, and he acts in time. Now, God is not on our timetable, but. If he was, then his second coming would have been 1900 and probably 70 years ago. Right? It wouldn't have been 2000. It wouldn't have been, you know, it would have been 1900 years ago. Because they were crying out then, How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? They believed in an imminent return. They believed he was coming back now. 2000 years later, we're still here. 
All right. So now let, let me just I, I want to. If I can find something, I, I hope that you can see this. Um, but um, I didn't even make a copy of it, I don't think. Um, but but here's just real quick, just a diagram about about God and eternity. This represents God. Okay. This represents time. Okay. God. And I don't know if there's any one area where you guys can see this better. So I'll try from here. God is outside of time. But yet he sees and he acts in time. This is, this is probably the best way to express or to show you how God interacts with time. But he has he's existed before time began. Now, um, we could probably talk about eternity for man and does time will time cease? Uh, some would say, yes, time will cease at the end of the age when Christ returns. We go to heaven, there is no time. However, the challenge with that thought that time ceases is that it talks about events and things that will happen in eternity. For that to happen, there's still some sense of time. Now, I don't think it's like at 9 o'clock we're going to have a praise and worship session at the throne. At 11 o'clock, Mitchell after Edmund's going to do a session on the sideshow. Now, he'll get the main stage there. So, it's not, it's not like that. Right. It, there's still events and things occurring for all of eternity. There's a flow and a pattern. Uh, you know, I don't know if you want to call that time or not. Doesn't matter. It, it, not going to affect my salvation. Move on. Right? Alright. So, this is how. But one of the things I wanted to tell you about God sees events in time and He acts on it. One of my favorite passages, Dad loves it, Galatians 4.4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. When it was the right time, God said, now. Guess what? When He returns again, He's going to go, now. Son's sitting in heaven going, when are you ready, Pop? I'll let you know. Now. One day. One day. But yet, I'm going to give you 88 reasons why. Anyway, we'll leave that alone. Um, so, we see from this that time does not limit, nor does it change God. God created all things and He is an immaterial. In other words, He's an immaterial spirit. Now, I'm going to press on just a few more minutes. Alright? Because uh, we're, we're going to talk about number four. Okay? Number four. I think the question was... Um, does God really, does God really live or dwell? Okay, um, so here's the thing: God does not have size or spatial dimensions and is present at every point. In other words, God, God doesn't, He doesn't have any kind of clothing on, folks. So if I talked about God filling up this room, really, that's really not a good illustration because God's not limited to this room. He's not limited to these walls. He, there is no spatial constraints on God. He's a spirit. He's present at every point of space with His whole being, yet God acts differently in different places. Okay? So, here's the thing. Um, God is all places, um, fully God. It's not like a part of God. God didn't like, you know, right now if, he, if He's ready to deal with Muslims, He's not sending the anger side of God over to the Middle East. 
He's not sending the love side to uh, that place in Florida that's got the healing thing. He, he's not. All of God is everywhere at all times. Um, that's where you can get several verses that talk about um, God being Lord over space. Deuteronomy 10. Uh, where God, Jeremiah 23, God is present everywhere. Um, Psalms 139, it says, uh, and You were with me and you formed me when I was in my mother's womb. I mean, you're kind of everywhere. Uh, God cannot be contained by any space. God, and here's, here's the thing I want you to get about God's omnipresence tonight. Uh, God can be present to punish, to sustain, or to bless. This is going to get into, we had a question on one of the cards that said, all right, God of love versus a God of uh, a jealousy, a jealous God, a consuming fire. All right, uh, we're going to get into that. So I'm going to probably go over and take about 10, 15 minutes and we'll finish up. But I want to just show you some things. God can be present to punish, to sustain, or to bless. Um, and then there are times where the Bible will talk about God being far away. What does that mean? Does that mean that God is not there? No. When the Bible talks about God being far away, that means that He is not blessing. He's not present to bless. He's there. He's with them. He's with the sinner. But yet, He is not with them to bless them in their deeds. Okay? Um, and I'm going to try to give you some... Um, whoops, let me go back. Um, try to give you uh, just some things. Uh, here, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to quote out some scriptures. Pat, I need you to look up Amos chapter 9, verses 1 to 4. Um, Mitch, look up Colossians 1, verse 17. Miss Joyce, look up Psalm 16, 11. Um, brother, you want to look up uh, Isaiah 59, 2? Uh-huh. And uh, John, look up Proverbs fifteen twenty nine. I'm going to point out this thing on on the judgment and justice stuff. Okay, you ready? So first off, I did not put this on the slide, so you'll need to. All right, uh, do you have Amos 9, 1 through 4 yet? Okay, I want you to stand up read it real loud. We just want to encourage you tonight. Okay. I've made up my mind 
hurt them, not help them. Evidently, some folks really weren't weren't good folks at all. They had no grace in their life. <laughs> all right. So that passage refers to one of the aspects that God is present to judge. But see, there's a false belief. We did it. We we people did it. We did it in our hell house because that's what people are familiar with. I asked them in deck in Dallas when we were out in Dallas, uh, and we they did a hell house out there. They had this huge section. I went and talked to them. I said, listen, I've read your doctrine of hell before. I've read your doctrine of God, your assemblies of God. You don't believe what's in your hell house. And the little hell scene at Judgment Journey. They truly do not believe, I don't think, what's in their Judgment Journey. Where they throw you into hell and there's the devil going, <laughs> I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog Toto too. Right? Mixing a little Wizard of Oz. But isn't that what we have imitated and emulated within our judgment scenes? Is that hell is the place absence of God? Yet the Bible specifically and, and, and strategically says there is no place that we can go where God is not. God is present in judgment. The devil will not rule and reign over hell. It's God's place of wrath. So God is there and He's there to punish. Okay, uh, sustain. But see, that's just a false teaching. So we we set up this dichotomy. We set up this. Let me let me tell you why I struggle with it. Okay, you're like, why in the world do you care about Hell House with the devil going? <laughs> the reason I care is because there is not a cosmic struggle between God and Satan. God does not struggle against the devil. He has never struggled against the devil. They're not in a cosmic arm wrestling match going, Oh, i got to win this one. Come here, Jesus. Come here, Holy Ghost. I need two more people to help me out. He, Satan is a created being. He is not all powerful. He is not all knowing. He is not everywhere at all times. But yet we ascribe to him the powers of God. And he does not have them. So why would we make Him ruler over a place? It's almost like God's, God's good and big, but the devil's also a pretty bad boy. And, and, and listen, I'm not telling you to flirt with sin. I'm not telling you to flirt with the enemy. Flee! You see somewhere the devil is? Run! Don't be calling him out on no showdown. That's God's job. Listen, you ain't going to hear me say, I can beat the devil up. Oh, oh Jesus can. I'll see y'all. I'm going to the house. <laughs> you know? You know? I mean, I'm going to leave God's work up to God. Please, please get it out of your head that God is in some struggle that one day Satan's going to rule over this little area. Mm-mm. Okay, uh, Mitch, Colossians 1. That's because, I know, hooked on Fox. Okay, if you don't have Colossians 1, 15 through 20 highlighted in your Bible, do so, commit that to memory right now, never forget it ever again. It's one of my most favorite passages in the whole Bible because it talks about 
the fact that Jesus is over all things. And He holds all things together. Nothing bigger than my Jesus. Get it? Commit it. Mm. So, God is present to judge. He is present to sustain. The reason that I'm here tonight is the grace of God. The sustaining grace of God. The reason we're here. The reason America is still United States of America is the sustaining grace of God. Okay. Um, uh, who had Psalm 16? Go for it. There you go. God is present to bless. God is present to bless. Now, I know I've just got one verse up here. But you go into the Bible, most of the time where you see God showing up, He's not showing up to judge. He's not showing up to sustain. He's showing up to bless. So you'll look at that and you'll see that. That's why people get a little bit of a warped sense of blessing and they, they want to leave out some of the other stuff. But God is present to bless and He desires to bless His people. Okay? Um, and then uh, there's two verses left. Go ahead, brother. I think you've got Isaiah 59. Okay. But your inequities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have have hid His face from you, that He will not hear. Okay. So they've separated. He will not hear. Your iniquities and your sin have done this. Okay. Who has the next passage? Proverbs 15. Go ahead, John. Okay, he's far from the wicked. This does not mean that he just he didn't live in that zip code. This means that he is not present to bless iniquity. He's not present to bless sin. He'll punish. He may give his grace to sustain you, to keep you while you're in sin, but he's not going to pour out on you. You may be doing, you know, people, but you can ask, well, how is it that people can be in sin and yet still be blessed? Well, it's not the favor of God. They may be doing some, some right principles that reap right results, but it's not the favor of God. God will judge them. It may be in time. It may be at the end of all things where God brings judgment. But ultimately, they're not blessed. Okay. Um, so, let's, let's go to this last one. Is God schizophrenic? Okay, what I mean by this, uh, this is the doctrine of unity. Um, and here's what it says. God is not divided into parts, yet we see different attributes of God emphasized at different times. Okay, so here's what this is saying. God is not composed of parts. So here's what we ask. What about just a God of justice and a God of, of love? Okay, because those are some some questions that we have now. Um, did you get your handout that had the circles on it? Everybody get your handout. It's a one-page handout with all the circles on it that would say wisdom. Okay, if we can get that and just yeah, go on and just pass those out. Um, there's a handout that's coming to you. Now, let me just say this. When Scripture talks about the attributes of God or the characteristics of God, 
it, it doesn't just um, single out one attribute as more important than the rest of them. It is simply telling you something about God so that you can understand that this is God. Let me explain it this way. And, and this diagram that you're getting, uh, because the question is, God is God a God of love versus God a jealous God? Um, okay, it's not either. Here's the thing. We get in this mentality either or because we say either or with God being just, God being jealous, God being just, or loving, God being um, uh, punishing. And so what happens is, is it, it's here's a word for you, okay? It's called dualism. Alright? And what this means is, is that we pit or we put justice and love against each other. We put justice and love against each other. And so, um, but, but here's the thing. When the Bible says that, because it'll say in 1 John, it will say, God is love. Okay? In 1 John. And then it will go a little bit further, a little bit later on, and it, it will talk about um, God is light. Now, we don't have a hard time putting these two together because they seem somewhat complementary. But yet, they're two different words. So what is it? Is God love or is God light? Yes. God is love. God is light. And here's the problem. As Here's the thing, guys, okay? I want you to get this. With justice and love, mercy and wrath, because God can be a God of, God is a God of wrath as well. How do those two go together? Here's the thing. We understand wrath and love, justice, love, mercy. We understand it in human perspective. I cannot feel love for someone most of the time and hatred at the same time. God can. Wait a second. There's no hate in God. Esau. Jacob, Jacob, I love Esau. I hate him. That gets into it. That messes with our kind of tips our milk over, doesn't it? We'll discuss it later. So he says it, and I'll address it later. But he's talking about it's not it's not the anger, okay? But it is an issue of chosen, okay? So. Here's the thing. Many times what we do is we, is we pit these things against the other. Because we don't understand how you can love someone. Now, I have been so mad at one of my kids that I've loved them so much I've been mad at them. I've had anger toward them because I loved them so much. You know, you did something stupid. You scared me. Now I'm going to kill you. <laughs> right? You understand that. Okay. But do you understand that in my thinking just there, there was probably some fallen nature in that? Probably a little bit of unrighteousness in that, right? But in God, God's ultimate desire is to bring us into a better place. Into relationship. He, he, his desire, you know, 
He doesn't have an evil desire toward us. So, um, the Bible says that God disciplines those whom He loves. So we can understand justice as an act of love. But yet, they're not two things. Because God is all these things. Now, if you look at this sheet, um, at the top of your sheet, I believe, you're going to have just a bunch of circles. And you're going to have all different things. And here's the thing. God's being is not a collection of attributes added together. In other words, God is not love and justice. God is not love and wrath. God is holy, all of these things. Okay? Um, if you'll look at your next one, God's being is not a collection of attributes added together. They're not additions to His his real being. Okay, so you got the top one, collection of attributes, which we talked about first, and I said it twice because I actually had two sheets, so sorry. So the second one is God's attributes are not additions to His real being. In other words, they don't add to God. They are God. God it's not just here's God and then we're going to add all these things and that's how you kind of know who He is. Mm-mm, they are. So, if you want to understand biblical anger, look at God. You want to understand righteous anger, look at God. If you want to understand righteous love, look at God. If you want to understand um, righteous wisdom, look at God. And, And so... The third circle that you see is uh, a circle with vertical and horizontal lines. And the way that this particular author explained it is this. In God, you have... If this were to represent God, then what you would say is, God's love can represent maybe this and the vertical lines. And then you could say that God's justice maybe represents these lines. Is still all of God. You could say that God's holiness represents this. In other words, they're not separate from God. They are all a part of God. And so we could infinitely draw lines until we fill in this circle. But the point is, all of these things are God. Okay? So, hopefully just something to help you get a handle on on God. So so um so from these different attributes we see the various aspects of God yet all are God. Okay? Um so anyway if you'll you can cut that. Let me let me just say this. So the question is God a God of love versus God of wrath? Yes, God is love but yet he is also at times wrathful. And that is in his character. It's in His nature. Here's what you have to ask yourselves, okay? So many times we think we get a corner on God. What do I mean by that? We think we get God figured out. Right? Okay? And we say, God's always going to act this way. Are you sure? Are you sure that God's going to act that way? You know? Because if so, we probably missed it a lot. Because there's, but see, but if we go back to the unchangeableness of God, God allows for human repentance. See, 
He allows for interaction. So in, in where the situation may dictate justice, God may decide to give mercy based on their repentance. But see, you've got to understand that God's character is that He is just. So justice, so here's what you could do. You could go through and do a study, Grab, get your Strong's Concordance, you could go through and get a study about justice. What does justice mean? We don't have time to do that on Wednesday night. Maybe later, but we don't have time. What is, what is love? What is wrath as it pertains to God? How does God give us... See, we get our definition of justice from our own understanding many times. What you've got to do is get your understanding of justice and love from God. Get His perspective on it. How He treated Israel certain times. How he Because sometimes we go, well, God would never do that, but yet God's done some pretty, th- pretty crazy things, you know? Um, in my, you know, if I were left, but He didn't leave me up to make that decision. So here's what I have to do. I have to say, you know what, God? All in all, you're righteous, you're holy, and I, I can't touch it. You know, uh, I, I know we've talked about these personal things before, um, but you know, it's probably the greatest illustration that I have in my life uh, with my mom. You know, I had a lot of issues. I told Ryan one day, I said, man, I had some God issues, son. He said, yeah, I still do. But see, the problem was is because I thought more of myself my own desires. But see, what happened is, is, is in my selfishness, you see, I wanted something that ultimately pleased and blessed me. Now, I can't get into a big discussion or big debate about why God does things, why God does Ultimately, where I had to come to was God is just. He is righteous. He is holy. He is merciful. He is love. I remember sitting over at the church one day. We had already moved back. And we sang this song. And the song talked about God being a healer. I couldn't sing it. See, that didn't mean a hill of beans to me. At that point. Yeah, but... Yeah, lived through it. But yeah, it didn't mean a hill of beans to me then. Because, let me tell you why it didn't. Because there was a part of me that said, God, this is the way I want it. And if you don't act this way, then you're not God. And I had to come to a place where I said, in spite of my hurt, in spite of my anger, in spite of my emotions. Because when I couldn't sing that song, that showed me my heart. It was two years. God likes love. I'm not crying over my mom. She's in a good place. I'm crying over me. Over God. God in His love. God in His mercy. Reached out to me and said, When are you going to stop being bitter at me? I've never changed. See, I had I had made God my spiritual helpmate. 
when that's never what God claimed to be. So, yes, I believe God heals. We have people that put on the prayer request and stuff. Yes, I believe God heals. I know He heals. Can I explain why He doesn't all I, I cannot. But all I can say is, is that I still trust God and I still believe God that He is faithful to heal. Because ultimately, God's bigger than me. He's bigger than my mom. He's bigger than my emotions. So, when we talk about God being a God of love, God of justice, you understand that it's yes. He is. There was another question that we had that said, um, if, and I'm only going to address the one side of it tonight. It, it said, if there are, um, how can we have so many religions and yet I'll serve the same God. Now, I'm going to address it as the question stated it. I think maybe the question may have been worded. Maybe they used religion and what they meant or what you meant if you're here tonight. I think what you might have meant was, was denominations or different Christian churches. Because let me say this. There are not all of the different religions today. We don't all serve the same God. Okay, um, There is one God. One God, not Allah, doesn't represent. That's not that's not the Muslim version of God. Okay, where they have ninety something names. Okay, um, there is one God. Jesus is very exclusive in the New Testament. Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. Unless He comes to me, that's it." Muslim. Um, Buddhist, Hindu, Mormon, I was witness. We can name out a lot. Where they attack the deity of Christ, the understanding of the sufficiency of Christ, it's they don't serve the same God. A lot of times they serve themselves. Now, this is what's so interesting about God. God is the only God out of all of the religions who is both infinite and personal. Okay, so at a later time we're going to address about why can we have so many denominations and serve the same God, serve the same Jesus, because that gets into a real crazy deal, you know. Ultimately, it's you know. Ultimately, it's probably lack of commitment, lack of covenant. You know, not understanding where we can agree to disagree, and still be in fellowship. On what issues. And so ultimately that, that's where that comes down to. That's more of a church history question. So anyway. Um, so uh, I, I don't know that I really have any time for questions tonight. Should you have any questions about what we discussed tonight. Go on and write them out while they're fresh in your mind. Leave them for me. Email them to Pat. Um, do that, and we can as as it pertains to what we talked about tonight, uh, and we will try to answer those next week. Next week, we're going to talk about those type of attributes that we can get close enough to God to catch. So the communicable attributes, the things that we share, okay, 
with God or that we hold in common. So uh, as we conclude, let me pray over you and, uh, and we'll be dismissed. Father, we love you so much. And we appreciate your faithfulness. We appreciate your justice. We appreciate your mercy. We appreciate your holiness. We appreciate your wrath. Uh, we appreciate all that you are. We appreciate your unchangeableness, your independence, your eternality. Uh, Lord, we, we appreciate uh, the fact that you are um, above all else. Lord, we appreciate, Father, the fact that you are not schizophrenic. Uh, we appreciate, uh, Lord, that, that you uh, don't lack in anything. And so, Lord, tonight we say that we love you. We honor you. We, we put you and we esteem you highly and higher than all things. And so, Lord, tonight we do ask that you would uh, give your grace to your people. Uh, Lord, it's in your character. We have seen it in your word time and time again to bless. You desire to bless your covenant people. So, Lord, it is my prayer tonight that as we leave, that you will bless your covenant people here tonight. Lord, for those who need healing, I would ask, Father, that you would bless them with healing. Lord, that you would give grace to them in their area of need. And so, Father, I ask you that you would touch every person here tonight seal this word in our hearts and we will honor you and love you in jesus mighty name amen